SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents is a lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I, Hank Green, am joined by Stefan Chin. Hey. Stefan, what's your tagline? The chicken is in the coop. I repeat, the chicken is in the coop. Sam Schultz is also here with us today. Hello. What's your tagline? A big pile of rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Man. The the world is heavy right now. <laughs> Sari, uh, Riley is here with us as well. Sari, have you been getting enough to drink? Yes, I have my water bottle here. I think uh, today I have definitely sweated out more than I have consumed, so I'm probably mm. dehydrated. Yeah, it's hot here. It's so hot. It's like 100 freaking degrees. Oh, man. We should all go down to the lake independently by ourselves. <laughs> Sari, what's your tagline? Surf's up. Nice. (laughs) And my name is Hank Green, and my tagline is 
Can you dig it? Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts, things that are just true about the universe. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic here on uh, SciShow Tangents, but judging by the last 30 seconds, we won't be great at it. So if the rest of the team deems your tangent unworthy, we'll force you to give up one of your Sam bucks. So tangent with care. And now as always... We introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. From mammary gland and secreted from teat, to paraphrase Marge Simpson, I just think it's neat. Milk <laughs> gives nutrition to babies, but that is just the beginning. It's much more than fat. From biochemical signals to bacteria for the gut, it's social and psychological. And honestly, what makes us want to drink cow milk or digest lactose? <laughs> the questions seem endless if you look close. And it's not crop milk or milky almond goo. It's an adaptation that unites every mammal to you. So I guess in a sense, milk evolutionarily rules. Plus, we can call it moo juice, which I don't know, I guess is cool. <laughs> I mean, we can call a particular milk moo juice. Yeah. You can call all milk moo juice if you want. Yeah, I that's guess. true. You're I'm right. Down. That's true. Absolutely. Almond moo juice. Almond yeah, language juice. is language is fluid. Yeah. As the as the regulators who would like to make it so that we can't call almond milk milk should know. Because <laughs> yeah. this is a current debate happening in government. Uh, because the milk industry is not happy about all the plant milks. If they proposed a better name, but I I thought that they wanted to call it yeah. nut juice, which is like not appetizing. No, can't do that. Mm-mm. Can't call it nut juice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, milk is also pretty gross. That's uh, true. Just the idea. And what I like about almond milk and the other plant milks is that they have, and I get to tangent as much as I want because I can't win this season, <laughs> okay. Okay. is that you have separated the idea of like a biological secretion from the stuff that I put in my cereal. And that's wonderful. I want that to happen, Mm -hmm. even for the biological secretion that I do occasionally still sometimes put on my cereal. I want to separate the idea of what milk is from the fact that it came out of a teat. Well, milky also, like there's the word milky to describe other things. And I don't know which came first. Oh, I Uh, think milk, the secretion came first would be my guess. Yeah, probably. And then milky things that looked like milk. But anyway, mm-hmm. I feel like all the nut juices all have that yeah. same milky consistency, which is why so we should call we, them milk. should we call Lich. them almond milky? Soy milky. Cashew milky. That's really cute. <laughs> I like That's that. That's fun. Yeah. Was milk the second beverage ever? <laughs> water first, then milk? So like fish were drinking down there in the ocean. Yeah. But the mammals water. were like I came up with a new beverage. I bet something sucked blood before the first mammal. Oh, shoot. It's got to be blood. You're right. Third beverage, milk. So, Sari, do you know what milk is? We've been talking about it a little bit. It is something that unites all mammals. Milk is Uh the nutrient-rich liquid produced in the mammary glands that is a source of nutrition for infant mammals. A milk scientist reached out to me on Twitter to be like, don't fall into the trap of just saying milk is nutrition. So this is me saying milk is way more than nutrition. There's like biochemical aspects to milk in that it helps build infants' immune systems Mm. and Mm -hmm. convey chemical signals, like even hormonal signals from 
mothers to children. There's like a social aspect of it because like the fact that humans drink milks of other species is weird, relatively speaking, as far as mammals go. (laughs) Okay. And do you know the etymology of milk? Not milk, but I do know milk. (laughs) Okay. A lot of people do say milk and that troubles me. Well, I hate to break it to you, Stefan, but the (laughs) Proto-Indo-European root is melg, which means to wipe, to rub off, to stroke, to milk in reference to the hand motion involved in milking an animal. So before humans (laughs) harvested it, this substance had no name. Well, that's true of all things. I don't think so. (laughs) If they saw other animals drinking it and they didn't think, I should name that stuff. It's just a nameless white thing. Well, it may have had a name, but we didn't have the word milk until... We had we were stroking it out of cows. Yeah, okay. sh- it probably had a name in in various languages when it was like when when you were breastfeeding a baby or something like that. Like there's probably uh-huh. a word for that specific, but it has no oh, yeah. connection to the word milk that we use now right. to describe this. Humans thing. have milk too. I forgot about that. Yeah, even the origins around the the word milk are kind of mysterious because there's another Proto Indo European root. Galag or Galag, which is where we get like mm, galactose or like galaxy lactation, things like that. Oh, because uh, the galaxy's oh. milky. It's milk. Wow. But it says the absence of a common word for it is considered a mystery. So really, huh. my guess is, Sam, that everyone had a different word for milk. And then for some reason, milk won. Now it is time for One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those is a true fact. The other panelists have to figure out which one is the true fact. And if we do, we get a Sam buck. If not, then Sam will get the Sam back because Sam is presenting the facts for us today. Sam, tell me your three facts. If you aren't lactose intolerant, cow's milk is generally seen as a nice, safe, boring drink. But sometimes (laughs) cows can eat something which can turn plain old milk deadly. Which one of these (laughs) is one of those things? Number one, cows chew cud. They can't get enough of the stuff. But there are some (laughs) grass species that during this fermentation-y process of ruminant digestion releases poisonous compounds, including cyanide. While it isn't a large enough dose to harm something as big as a cow, it can end up in the cow's milk, where it can cause severe illness and even sudden death. Two, sweet potatoes are a fairly common part of many cows' diets, but if a cow eats too many of them, it can cause big trouble for people. Indigestible sugars from the potatoes can accumulate in the milk, and when this sugary milk is drank by humans, it can overfeed the gut microbiome, leading to severe malnutrition and even death. Or, number three, throughout the American Midwest, you can find an unassuming white-flowered herb known as white snake root, which happens to be incredibly poisonous. If ingested by cows, their milk is contaminated by the toxin, making the milk harmful and potentially deadly. So we've got uh, three different ways that maybe milk is deadly and two of them are made up. We've got some grass species that release poisonous compounds uh, and make cyanide that end up in the cow's milk while it's the, the cyanide is created while it's digested. We've got indigestible sugars from sweet potatoes, which are apparently a fairly common part of cow diets and can lead to like an overabundance of your gut microbiome. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And lead to malnutrition and even death. Yes. And then white snake root, which has a toxin that makes it potentially 
deadly. Why do cows eat sweet potatoes, Sam? It's it's more expensive to feed them good stuff. So sweet potatoes are kind of just like, here, cow, you need some calories. It's just like what's around, like the extra sweet potatoes, the bad ones that they don't want to want to take to the store. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay. Would it be just as bad if they ate regular potatoes? Do we specifically, I guess I don't know enough about United States agriculture. Are we making too many sweet potatoes? Do people not like sweet potatoes here? Uh, I would guess people don't like sweet potatoes as much as they like a regular potato. I think that's true. This has always been weird to me because I enjoy a sweet potato more than I enjoy a potato, but I want to eat potatoes more than I want to eat sweet potatoes. You don't always want sweet. And a potato pairs better with more things. Than it's true, potato, yeah. That's true. Also, you mostly get like fries in from regular potatoes. And I feel like those are just like chemically engineered to make you addicted. I love me that ketchupy fry. And also like the sweet <laughs> potatoes, I think they have a problem where there's a like there's a, they grow weirdly so that uh, there's a lot of like Mm. bad sweet potatoes there's a lot of sweet potatoes that don't like sort of fit the grocery store desired potato shape Mm. give them to cows but that's that has nothing to do with whether sam's fact is true it's i i can't i i accept that it's possible for a potato for a potato to need to eat a cow but I don't accept that that means that. Excuse me. Cow. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if there was a dead cow underground, it could eat the cow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's The circle of life. It's the circle of life. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) We've got some beef-fed potatoes over here. (laughs) We've got two plants here, just grasses generally, and Mm. certain species can convert to being toxic inside Mm -hmm. of the cow is the first fact, whereas the third fact is snake root itself seems to be toxic and can contaminate the milk that way. Mm-hmm. I like that it's called snake root because that sounds like it's dangerous. It's also white snake root, like white snake, the most dangerous band in rock and roll history. I'm going to go with white snake root. I don't really have anything to base it on. It's too wibbly for me. doesn't matter, though, because I'm not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to go with sweet potatoes because... Oh. The grasses mm. stuff is just, they're too close together. But that means probably mm-hmm. that one of them is true. I'm going to stop overthinking it. I'm yep. probably wrong, but sweet potatoes. I The sweet potato one is the only one that I think is fake. Oh, well, I'd be cheating the game then. Because I well, don't. Two of them are definitely fake. Well, yeah, fake. two of them are definitely fake. But the, the sweet potato one is the only one that I feel like I have any mm-hmm. sense of. Because sweet, I, sweet potatoes, I feel like we're really good at digesting sugars. I'll, I'll go. I'll go with the snake root. Also, go to twitter.com/scishowtangents and vote on the thing that you think is the true fact. Right? Did you vote yet? Here it goes. The right answer is snake root. White <gasps> hey! snake root. Points occurred. Snake root milk contamination is real, and it's called milk sickness when people drink oh. the tainted milk. And it apparently killed thousands of people in pioneer days, including, according to some accounts, Abraham Lincoln's mother. Mm. Symptoms oh. include weakness, nausea, vomiting, constipation, and death within two days. So it's like pretty That's nasty hardcore. stuff. Uh, and it happens mostly in places where people are drinking the milk from a single cow. So it was almost unheard mm. of in bigger cities. And it mostly occurred on homesteads and small frontier towns. And because of that, no, there were like no doctors out there to study what was going on. And it was just like, wow, people sure do die sometimes, I <laughs> <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> and basically that's what it was. People just chalked it up to like insects or tainted water or other frontier hazards because people were just dropping dead for like no reason. So in 1809, that was the first published account of it. But it took until 
until 1906 for the plant to be identified because nobody was on the case. And then that information spread so ranchers can watch out for it now. It, it The toxin isn't destroyed in pasteurization. So hmm. I guess watch what your cows are eating because huh. if you're only drinking milk out of one cow and you live in the Midwest or Eastern Seaboard, they could be poison death cows. When you buy a gallon of milk, does that contain the milk of many cows? I believe that it does. I think it does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is also true of like hamburger meat. <laughs> well, that's oh, that's yeah. what they say about ground beef, but I feel like if you if you get your ground beef from a, you know, it depends on how you get it. That's right. A local yeah. shop. But yeah, milk all comes into a big a big vat and then the vat is then done on, like all the chemistry is done on it to make the different kinds of milks. So number one, the cyanide cow cud thing, cud chewing doesn't really have anything to do with it, but there are certain grasses that produce cyanogenic glycosides, Mm -hmm. which I think basically is like cyanide locked up in sugar, something like that. And usually these grasses are totally safe for cows to eat, but if the grass is planted somewhere that experiences severe drought and heat often enough, the compounds can break down in the grass and it releases the cyanide Uh, And whether or not this can end up in the milk doesn't really matter because cows grazing on grass like this can die within a few hours of grazing. Mm. You don't milk a dead cow. That's one of the rules. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) probably one of the first rules that they thought of. uh, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, and it killed like 16 cows in Texas a few years ago. So Mm. it just happens every now and then, I think. Do you just like dig up all the grass and you're like, let's just torch the land and dig it up? I should have looked into that more. I don't. No, I think you just be more careful about what grasses you're planting. And I think that was the problem with the Texas mm, the Texas okay. thing hmm. was it was mixed incorrectly and there was the kind of grass that wasn't drought tolerant. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. So probably you got to just start all over again. Then the undigestible sweet potato sugars is based on human milk oligosaccharides. Is that how you say that? Sure. Oligosaccharides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a sugar in human breast milk that humans can't digest, but it's thought to feed and bolster the gut microbiome of infants. And it's uh-huh. in human milk. Mm-hmm. I guess that's called breast milk. Human milk is a little weird to say. <laughs> it is it's kind of strange because it sounds like you're buying it at the store, like a cow's <laughs> buying it at the store. And it's like, if you have the humans eat the wrong kind of grass, they just die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cow- Which is probably oh, very much more true for humans than it is for cows. Probably a lot more stuff we can eat that will kill us. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we're going to take a short break. Then it'll be time for the fact off. Special Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. 
That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. The downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back, everybody. Sandbook totals very easy to convey to you because it's a tie <laughs> game with everyone at one, which it. means Peaceful. it's a race between me and Stefan for who's going to win no, this episode of SciShow Tangents because we're about ready to do the fact off. Stefan and I have each brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. And whichever fact blows your mind more, the presentee gets to give a sandbook too. So... We're going to do this thing, and we're going to decide who goes first with a trivia question that will be read to me by someone. In what year did milk start being sold in plastic-coated paper cartons? I'm going to say 1943. 1962. Ooh, big gap there. Hank wins. The answer is 1932. Whoa. Wow. Oh, gosh, we had plastic back then? (laughs) (laughs) When did plastic start? Jeez. We had some crummy plastics before we had, like, cool plastics. Right, right. Bakelite was 1907. Yeah. Oh, wow. Everybody thinks that those things are just cardboard and that they're not. They're like, look, there's no plastic. And I'm like, it's still plastic. Do you think that just paper can hold milk? In what universe did would you think, oh, I'll just pour milk into this cardboard box and that will work? <laughs> this is also true, by the way, of aluminum cans. They are also lined with plastic. So you're still drinking oh. out of plastic when you're drinking out of Wait, aluminum really? cans as well. I didn't know that. 
It's all, everything is plastic. Anyway, I guess that means I'm going to go first. So I want to tell you about a wallaby and you want to hear about a wallaby. But first I'm going to tell you a little bit about milk. So there's there's usually two kinds of milk. You get colostrum right when the baby is born. And this is the case in, in most mammals. And then after that, the milk composition is static. So a cow's milk might vary between species, but like the individual produces like, you know, three to four percent fat, three and a half percent protein, five percent lactose. Humans make three to five percent fat, one percent protein, seven percent carbohydrate. And it's that way the whole time that that animal is making milk doesn't shift. But there is a group of mammals that does this differently, marsupials, and it's best exemplified by the tamar wallaby, which has a very short pregnancy. So it's only pregnant for 28 days, and then the baby is born, and it's very, very underdeveloped and dependent on the mom. And it's basically attached directly to the mother's teeth and does not let go. Mm. So to compensate for that short gestation, the wallaby babies go through a very long lactation period. It can last for up to 350 days. And during that long lactation period, the baby wallaby's nutritional needs change. So the mother changes its milk accordingly. And this is weird already, but it's going to get weirder. So while nursing in the pouch, the wallaby mother produces milk that's higher in carbohydrates and lower in protein and fat. But 200 days postpartum, the milk composition shifts to being higher in fat and protein and lower in carbs. The wallaby will then leave the pouch at around 250 days, but can continue suckling for up to 100 more days off of that high fat and protein milk. But sometimes the mother ends up having another baby while that first baby Uh is still drinking milk, whatever that's called, before that baby has been weaned. And that new baby needs the old kind of milk. And so internally, you have two different teats producing two different kinds of milk. It's called asynchronous concurrent lactation. And just imagine that you've walked into a McDonald's and you get to pick whether (laughs) you want root beer or Dr. Pepper. That's the situation, except it's the inside, except it's teats and it's a wallaby. (laughs) So the older baby can drink from the 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 teat that has the the older baby milk and the younger baby can drink from the younger baby milk. Yeah, but does the older baby ever have a little nip of the good yeah. shit? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so good. Like I think that mostly during this period of time the younger baby never leaves the teat. Oh. And so right. it's like basically connected. Older baby okay. can kick um, that little yeah. baby off of the teat. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Gimme. <laughs> it also probably isn't very much because the little baby is so little. Oh, They're so man. little. They're just like little jelly beans. Yeah, yeah. And we have no idea how they do this. Scientists had some thoughts about how it might work, but they were wrong. And so we <laughs> we do not know how on earth this mammal basically lactates. It's like it's being a soda fountain and like making different milks at the same time. What the heck? Did the scientists think it had to do with the babies? Like, are the babies yes. biting the tea or releasing a chemical in some way? They thought that it had to do with the suckling patterns. Uh. So, like, a little baby would suckle differently and more continuously than a than a big sort of, you know, basically juvenile. But they tested that to try and, like, like stimulate the teats <laughs> as if they were one or the other and try and get it to switch. But that didn't work. There's some things just beyond our, our realm. 
Yeah. <laughs> we will never know. No, Sam, just because we don't know something doesn't mean it's beyond our realm. <laughs> Ten years from now, we'll come back and do another episode on Tomorrow Wallabies, and I'll tell you all about how they regulate their milk, because okay. we'll know by then. Then we'll know that. Stefan, what do you have for us? I've got platypuses. Uh, platypuses <laughs> are weird. They are mammals, but they are in a unique group of mammals known as monotremes, which is just platypuses and echidnas. And they are egg-laying, and they're just weird because they look like a collection of different animals' body parts. They have duck bills and webbed feet and beaver tails and and no nipples, which is important for this episode. So mm-hmm. because they have no nipples, some people say they sweat out their milk, but that's not really true. They don't really sweat at all. They just lay on their backs <laughs> and like ooze milk through their skin onto their bellies so their young can like lick it up. With a nipple, like the milk goes straight into the baby's mouth. But here, the milk is getting exposed to the environment. And so you've got like mm-hmm. dirt and bacteria, all kinds of things that could make the babies more susceptible to infection. But luckily, platypus milk is extra antimicrobial. So I think all milks have some antimicrobial properties in them, but monotremes have a couple extras that are unique to that group of animals. And one of these proteins is MLP, monotreme lactation protein, and it occurs in an unusually high concentration for an antimicrobial protein in their milk. And in 2018, teams at CSIRO, which is the Australian National Science Agency, and Deakin University, which is also in Australia, they were able to replicate MLP, this protein, in a lab and then figure out the structure of the protein. And it turned out to be sort of a novel, never-seen-before structure. So it seems like the protein Hmm. is made up mostly of alpha helices, which is this like spiral structure that's very common across all kinds of proteins. But this protein specifically, because it's mostly these helices, it's just like this mass of like spirals. And it reminded them of Shirley Temple's hair. So they called the structure Shirley Temple. Scientists are so (laughs) weird. I say that like knowing that I'm vaguely a scientist, but a Shirley Temple protein. So like the structure of proteins in general influences how each protein behaves. And they don't know exactly how that structure interacts with bacteria, but they know it is like more antimicrobial. And they're interested in seeing how that, that structure could be used to like fight antibiotic resistance, basically, because that's becoming a bigger and bigger problem over time. And as antibiotics are becoming less effective. We have to keep exploring all these different options. So they're like, okay, this is unique protein. It's got a weird structure that we don't know of. Can we recreate this and like create different medications that could fight antibiotic resistant bacteria? Though they they did note though that since proteins break down when you ingest them, they don't think you could make an oral treatment with this, but probably like an ointment or a wound dressing or something that could be more effective. Mm-hmm. They were in 2018 looking for collaborators to take this research to the next level. So if that's you, (laughs) it's time to save the world, buddy. I have a question about what happens to the extra milk. Do the babies just like lick the milk belly until there's no more? (laughs) Or at some point, does the platypus mom have to be like, I got things to do and then like flips over and gets rid of some milk? That's a good question. I don't know. Well, they they swim a lot, so I imagine just, like yeah. whatever is left they over don't get washes a off. Milk belly. Mm. Look, 
There's probably a lot that's stinky about a platypus life. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You are choosing between two facts. We've got Tamar wallabies who can change their milk continuously as a baby wallaby develops and produce different kinds simultaneously for two differently aged babies. Or from Stefan, platypus milk contains a unique antimicrobial protein that could unlock new ways to fight antibiotic resistant bacteria. You guys ready? Three, two, one. Hank. Hank. Hey, I'm cleaning up Ooh. today. I'm back. <laughs> back. I'm back. Now it is time to ask the science couch where we've got a listener question for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. This week from Kreb Shouting, who asks, why is milk mostly uniform in color mm. no matter the animal it comes from? And I assume that this is because milk is an emulsion of little fat droplets and that's what it looks like when you do mm. that. Right? Yep. Yeah. You're enough of a chemist <laughs> to guess at an answer. Do you want to explain what an emulsion is in chemistry? Yeah. So, 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 like milk has fat dissolved in it, but we all know what happens when you put fat in water. Like they don't mix together. Mm-hmm. Oil and water don't mix. That's the, that's like a, it's like a metaphor. It's so true. <laughs> but if you, you can create chemical ways to get tiny droplets of fat to have little, things around them that basically keep that droplet dissolved in water so that it doesn't separate out or doesn't separate out easily. And that is an emulsion. It's when two substances that normally would not dissolve in each other dissolve in each other somehow, I think, basically. I'm 40. I haven't been a chemist in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's basically it. So there are in milk, which is like water is the main liquid in it. Yeah. There are fat globules and protein globules. And when milk is homogenized, then it's gone through like extra processing to make it like a smooth milky color instead of like, I think if you get milk more freshly or less processed from farms, it can separate into like <laughs> cream on top. And that's yep. because it's like less of an emulsion. Mm-hmm. And the fat particles are what are key here because they're so much bigger than the protein particles. So just like the way color works is light is uh, made up of a spectrum. And so light hits an object and then what gets reflected back into our eyes is the color we see. And so like off of most plant leaves, only the color green is reflected back into our eyes because of chloroplasts. And the fat molecules reflect back all wavelengths of light into our eyes. So that's why it appears white to us. Mm. So thank the fat. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at TangentialOtter, at HeyLets, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Sandbug final scores for once. <laughs> I win. Three points to everybody else's one, which makes it so that I am only five <laughs> points behind. You're in striking so distance. I just need to do that a bunch of times. <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful. Let's just know what you like about the show. You can also tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of
of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Trucravardi. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The Selenodon is a shrew-like venomous mammal that's only on the islands of Cuba and Hispaniola. They are mammals, so they produce milk, but babies have to drink it from teats near their mom's butt. Ooh, butt teats. So they got butt teats. (laughs) And the ecologist Joe Nunez Mino described it as, quote, the teats are sort of in the armpit of the rear legs, (laughs) and sometimes the females will kind of run around dragging the babies. Uh, <laughs> these animals gotta get their shit together they don't look right yeah they do look a little upsetting oh, yeah. they are weird they diverged like 76 million years ago from other mammals oh, and shrews wow. so it's like so, they're they a weird evolutionary offshoot um, they're wow. one of the only venomous mammals and so the butt teats are actually pretty low on the, the number <laughs> of weird things about them <laughs>